Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 159, recorded on September 4th of 2021. I'm your host, Don Kamarechka, to geek out about photography stuff uh, on this podcast, which is usually weekly. I missed a week. I apologize about that, but you'll hear why in a minute. And with me this week uh, to opine about the geekiest stories that I could find in the photography sphere uh, is my good buddy out in Germany, fellow Canadian, Alan Attridge. Alan, how are you doing today? Doing great, Don. Yourself? Very good. Very good. Uh, You know, big news, actually. It's big news week. Um, We bought a house. uh, We did. uh, Well, I mean, not me and you, Alan, but me and my wife. Okay, Uh, that makes a little more sense. Yes, um, but... It's, I mean, people buy houses all the time. That's not necessarily that big of, of news. But where we bought a house is because we bought a house in Bulgaria, my wife's home country. Uh, and the bigger news is we are planning on permanently moving there uh, before the end of the year, uh, probably sometime in the October timeframe. So really big changes happening over here. That's exciting. I mean, I, am I supposed to sound surprised because I actually knew about this a while yeah, ago? Yeah, you, you, you knew before I made the, the public <laughs> reveal, but pretend you're excited and uh, I mean, I'm, exci- I'm still excited. I'm, I'm actually just looking now. I'm going to figure out how long it takes to fly uh, from Stuttgart to Varna. Is that where you're going? Varna, yeah. Or our house is going to be in a, in a village just south of Varna. Uh, just a quick little, I think about 30 minute drive from the airport, uh, the Varna International Airport. And, um, you know, this, uh, th- this is one of those things that, you know, the pandemic turns a lot, uh, turned a lot of people's lives upside down and inside out. And, you know, the new normal is not what life used to be, etc. But for me, I, I really realized that you know, I, even recording this podcast, I can do this anywhere on the planet, so long as I have a good enough internet connection. Right. And uh, all of my professional work, I can do from home. And I don't have to physically interact with people. I mean, I can, but I don't have to. And that means that it kind of unburdened us from geographical convenience of of making money and such. So, um we have a lot of friends and family back in Bulgaria. I've mentioned my trips there on this podcast uh, numerous times before, and I've always felt like it could be home. And there was a thought that it would be at some point in our future, possibly retirement. But we realized we could do this right now. We could rent out our house here in Canada, and we refinanced our house to gain access to the equity, which allowed us to buy a house over there. Renting out our house here uh, will pay for all of those payments. So it basically financially unburdens us so that we no longer have to be in the rat race as it were. And life can lead a bit of a slower pace where, you know, I'm not going to retire per se, but every, you know, job that I take is one that I'd be truly impassioned about and be really happy about the the work uh, that I can create moving forward, which is really freeing creatively. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited about this. A uh, lot of logistical stuff to, to sort out. Uh, Got to get my long term visa sorted and all that. But um, yeah, the move is the move is happening and uh, we couldn't be happier about it. Well, one thing I think like one of the things that you, you and I have in common um, is I get the impression that you will never actually retire ever. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I'm sure that uh, there, I'll, I'll still I'll find a way to keep publishing work after I'm dead. Yeah, yeah uh, right, right, right. Well, that's the best way to do it. Uh, the the but I mean, you're going to find something. And I, I feel the same way, you know, about myself is that is that people ask, you know, what are your retirement plans? And I was like, well, you know, when I'm 80, I'll take up wingsuit flying and then we'll see what happens. But 
the uh, as as far as 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 you know shutting down any kind of work, whatever that is, I will I will be doing something creative forever, you know, and whether that you know it, earn. It, basically is my income or whatever it is. It's, it's never going to stop. I, I, that's how I see it. And I, I feel the same about you. So everyone listening, do not worry. He really isn't retiring ever. Um, and the rat race is, you nailed it. Um, I've never lived in, in Ontario. I've been to Ontario, but never lived there. But I do know in Vancouver, the rat race is real. And it yeah, I, I'm no stranger to hundred hour weeks, um, not really resting. And uh, you know what? There, there's a time and a place for that, uh, and I've done that, right? And and now I don't have to anymore. Well, I don't know how how similar you know, say Varna is to to life in Germany. But one of the things that it took me a while, like I'm talking years, to get used to, and now I love it, is that stores are not open on Sundays here. The end. awesome. Yes, and that that is that is all part of it. Whereas you know, in Vancouver, if you need something at eleven fifty eight on a Sunday night, uh, you can you can scoot into Safeway still, which is absurd. It, yeah. it's, it's bizarre way to live, and uh, I actually embrace it here. So, and as your as your as your daughter gets older, that rat race in in North America doesn't slow down. There's sports, there's ballet, there's like everything you have to run to. It's not all in the same village, is is, is what I found out. Uh, in Vancouver anyways, whereas here, a lot of it's really close. Yep. And, uh, you know, we'll be about a 10 minute, uh, 10 minute drive to the coast of the Black Sea. Uh, and other neighboring villages have all the necessary amenities that we'd need. Um, you know, and, and there's still like the big box stuff. Like if I want to go to Ikea and buy furniture and tables and stuff, uh, yeah. there's one in, in Varna. Hey, are they, um, are they a sponsor of the show? They, they are not a sponsor. Okay, don't no. go, don't uh, go. <laughs> Uh, I'm just saying that it's not like I'm completely leaving uh, the Western influence by going into Eastern Europe, right? Uh, but it's uh, it's still there, and I, you know what? I'm I'm always going to be the total geek going after the latest gadgets and stuff. All the while, uh, our house in a village has a mini orchard and a massive greenhouse, and I'll be you know tending to vegetables and fruit trees, which I do here. A lot of people might not realize. We've got a beautiful permaculture garden that I've been building over the years and just feeling closer to that natural element um, for, you know, half of all of my days, I think would be uh, really quite nice and uh, and relaxing and de-stressing. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that can get stressed pretty easily, especially when deadlines are looming or big projects are on the horizon. And so, yeah, uh, it's anyhow, uh, we've opined on on that big move. Uh, there is one related piece of uh, of news I'd want to make is that if you want to buy a print from me, um, I'm not taking my 44 inch printer with me in a shipping container. Uh, it's going to be uh, sold off here. So uh, and eventually I'll get one there. I'm, that might not be as big. But if you if you ever, ever wanted a print of my work, now is a great time to get it. Uh, or if you wanted a copy of my book, because I'm not sure logistically how to get my, uh, pre-existing inventory over there. If I'm even able to, it's going to take a long time. If you want a copy of macro photography, the universe at our feet, get it now, uh, within the next month or so, because after that date, 
I don't know if you'll be able to get a copy. They'll they'll go into storage here until such time as I can either find a uh, distributor or or carry them overseas. So um, that you can find the links to uh, in the show notes at photogeekweekly.com or directly go just to skycrystals.ca. Um, if you are so inclined to, I, I prefer that you buy it from me, um, but you can get it from B&H uh, in the US or uh, the camera store uh, out of Calgary here in Canada. Those are the two retailers that stock it. So you know what's funny is that uh, I mean I've been on vacation. Uh, we, we were in Italy for a while, and then and I was in Munich for a wedding. And uh, I've been during that time, especially, but for a while now, I've basically quit Twitter and uh, just just can't stand looking at it anymore. I had to log in for something the other day, and the one tweet I saw, I was mentioned in. And it was about you, and it said, well, now that now that you're moving, it'll be much easier time zone-wise to have uh, me and somebody else on the show. Yep, uh, so. and uh, that'll be great. I mean, I, Bulgaria is seven hours difference from, from me here, uh, and I think you're five hours difference. Six, so the de- six, I think. Six, so the Delta's only one hour then, so yep. that's great. I just checked. It's two-and-a-half-hour direct flight uh, of Arna to Stuttgart, Eurowings, so... Uh, yeah, you can you can pop by whenever you want. Uh, we actually have a, a, a guest house uh, on our on our property. Uh, Pond so or the you, pool. Pond would be good for you. <laughs> so we, uh, we 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 can we can host uh, and, and we'll do workshops there, too. I, I'm fully probably well, I don't want to say probably not, but maybe in 2022, definitely in 2023. Could you imagine um, going on a tour around Bulgaria to all the beautiful mountains and caves and waterfalls uh, and coastline? Mm-hmm. And doing a uh, a macro photography shoot on either end of that. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I can imagine it now, along. yes. Yeah. All right, let's do uh, that. All right, well, let, let's let's also do this podcast proper and get into the stories of uh, of the week. There's been quite a few announcements uh, this week, some, some heavy-hitting cameras um, that uh, deserve at least a mention. Uh, so the first story is, uh, I like to talk about big tech that neither of us, Alan, will ever own um no but it's interesting to see you know what the use case would be and what the cutting edge necessarily is and that comes from red this week the v raptor st i don't know where they get their names for these things but (laughs) jurassic park it it is a twenty five thousand dollar cinema camera capable of 8k 120 frames per second 16-bit raw video capture well hang on you say twenty five thousand like that's a lot of money and it 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 is and but it isn't like you go back and you you drop this camera into someone's lap ten years ago and it's a three hundred thousand dollar camera. Well, or it didn't even exist. I mean, the technology right. what was just uh, impossible to have produced back then. And to be honest, if you are a a production house, right, you're doing cinema work, right? You, mm-hmm. you are Disney, um, or you are any broadcast television, uh, you know, production. This, uh, the, I'm not saying that they would use this camera specifically. They have other things designed for broadcast, but the price point is not huge by those standards. That's just a line no. item on on a uh, on a production schedule. So, uh, but still, twenty five thousand dollars is more than I would spend for a camera. This is not obviously geared to me, uh, and I I know that even the kind of content that I consume. You know, the stuff that I might watch on on YouTube uh, or, you know, I I like watching, like you mentioned, shows uh, or movies from 10 years ago. This was not required uh, to create that enjoyable experience. So what is this for, Alan? And 
really, in the space of what we are consuming for media today, um, how much of this is actually relevant to, to our world moving forward? Is this overkill is the question I'm hearing. Kind of. Yeah, the answer is yes, it is. Um, so you like take, look at the price point, for, for example. That, that's where I'm torn because this is amazing tech. Like I, 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 can't, I, mean, I can't believe you know my phone, let alone this. So like this is this this is outstanding uh, tech that you can that you can access so much so that do you did you ever see the movie Clerks from like ninety three something like that? Uh, Kevin Smith. Also, yeah, and it turned into an, an animated series afterwards, right? Probably they would they probably squeeze some money out of it. They've done a few sequels, um, yeah. but it basically launched the career of the filmmaker Kevin Smith. He went to famously went to Van, Vancouver Film School from New Jersey, flew over. You know, had you had to pay half half the money down uh, for for film school. I almost went to Vancouver Film School just after him. And at the halfway point, the the the, the second part of the, his tuition was due, and it, it was something like. $17,000. So he'd, he'd already given them $8,000. So he had a decision to make. Either give them the $8,000 or take that $8,000 and find a little bit more money and make just make a movie and see what happens. And that became Clerks. And so he shot it. So the, the why I bring this up is I believe, I forget the exact number, but it's about, I think it was like $29,000 or it was like, like $29,000 he spent to make the entire movie. And that basically went to film stock and processing. Right. Borrowed a camera and just paid that money on film for film. For that money, you could get this amazing camera, which you could shoot one of the fast and furious sequels on. <laughs> sure. And you know, I think you've made a very important point here that you can use any equipment so long as you've got the the chops to operate the equipment properly you've you've got the the know-how in the film space to actually surround yourself to to delegate the, the the roles to make sure you hire the right people to make sure that the production moves ahead there's skill involved there's a lot of skill involved with this yeah. um, i saw a photo recently comparing uh you know, a, a photo shoot between a, a high-end camera and an iPhone and the photos, I think it was of a, a motorcycle, uh, looked identical. And people are complaining, saying, well, why, why do I need to have such an expensive camera? Well, okay, you don't, but it helps in some ways, but it also proves the point that the camera is only one component mm -hmm. of photography. Uh, or of cinema in this particular case, right? There are so many other elements in set design, in lighting, uh, in, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with people, obviously there's a psychological element and there's wardrobe and makeup and, and all of this type of stuff. Um, and photography is a component within that. So uh, the, the gear matters, but uh, do I ever find a need to shoot 120 frames per second 8K? No, 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 no. I do not. Nor do I think anybody will ever ask me for that. Uh, I shoot 6K or 5.9K right now on my Lumix S1H, uh, and I can shoot RAW. It's not 16-bit RAW, so there's a bit of a caveat there. Uh, but that's all that would ever be asked of me, uh, I would say, for the foreseeable future. Uh, and if I have 8K as a deliverable for any documentary film that I'm working on, uh, they might take it, or they might even say that that's just, we, we don't need it. 
uh, it's not going to end up into the final product in any meaningful way. Uh, and it just kind of burdens the editing process mm -hmm. uh, or that camera hasn't met with approval. Um, because I know the S one H currently has approval for Netflix and, and a bunch of other qualifications, uh, that might be needed to enter into a production. So, um, I shoot 24 frames per second at 5.9 K and I shoot raw and everybody is happy. If I were to have the ability to do, uh, you know, really high frame rates at, uh, at 4k resolution, that makes a lot more sense to me. Uh, that would be a, a tool that, uh, you know, could have some really uh, interesting, uh, interesting fun with, and you can record, I'm looking here, uh, on the, I pulled up the BNH website, uh, DCI 4k at 240 frames per second. Uh, uh, or if you, uh, in a windowed mode up to 300 frames per second. So that's nice. Uh, and 5k 192 frames per second, uh, as well. So there's some interesting high speed options, a lot of connectivity. Of course, you've got your red code raw, which, uh, I don't know, some people, you know, swear by, uh, honestly, I don't know what the big deal is because I've mm -hmm. never had the opportunity to work with that format, but, um, uh, there you have it. We've got, uh, you got the new red V Raptor ST. Um, I didn't want to take the the contrarian view on this because, it, the, like I said, this is amazing. It, tech, it's amazing. Yeah, I could imagine it hampering hampering creativity though, because one of the things that, like, if you are in a situation like, say, Kevin Smith, you 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 have almost nothing to work with. Your creativity has to take over, and if you can just shoot and shoot and shoot with this thing, and you know what, I'll color grade later. I can I can I can adjust some of the lighting later in post and post and post. You now have infinite uh options later on and you never analysis actually, paralysis exactly exactly this is why i always tell people you know hey you want the meat or the fish i want the meat done that's you know but if you have a menu of of a hundred things you're sitting there forever because maybe you want do, do you pick the pickerel or the sea bass you know yeah uh, i don't feel like what, what do i want now um and so yeah i like to keep things simple and like creativity go that being said i would have loved to have had this in film school this would have been great uh but shooting on film was fun too so yeah well, okay uh, by itself is probably not very useful of course you need the memory for it you'll probably need a uh, you know a battery a screen a cage um and uh it uses we should mention the uh, the canon rf mount so they are making a transition mm -hmm. uh, to the mirrorless mounts rather than uh sticking to either pl or ef uh, which I, I don't know. Some people, it's not going to make any difference whatsoever because you're just going to stick the adapter on there, and uh, and that's fine. Uh, and so that really doesn't. Maybe it makes the body slightly smaller, but these are big honking bodies, and that uh, space savings really doesn't come into much play here. Um, one thing I would have liked to see more of on this camera, Alan, uh, more uh, quarter twenty sockets. Um, it's got, it only has twenty eight of them. Uh, I. <laughs> I think 32 are, are bust. Um, for, and right. that, that's, for those unfamiliar, that's your standard uh, tripod screw mount adapter. But you also use it on cinema cameras to, you know, attach all sorts of accoutrements and accessories and yeah. what have you. <laughs> yeah, 28, 28. 28 quarter 20. Couldn't uh, do 30, yeah. huh? They, they yeah. couldn't. Uh, I, I'm quite disappointed. I can see spots where they could have put a couple more. You so. probably get an adapter where you screw one in <laughs> for two. I'd probably do that. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyhow, uh, there you have it. The, uh, the red digital cinema experience gets, gets a little bit better for anybody looking into that space or to see exactly what the cutting edge is coming out from red. And, and we have, uh, the cutting edge also 
from Fujifilm. Uh, they have announced their GFX 50S2, um, which is a, uh, I mean, it's the same sensor as the uh, uh, GFX 50S. It's the same 50 megapixel, actually 51.4 megapixel uh, camera sensor that it's using in existing cameras. Uh, but they've done a couple of cool things here. They've added the X processor four chip that, that was used in their bigger brother, the, uh, the 100 S. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, so that's going to improve, you know, your autofocus speed face and eye detection, etc. cetera. Uh, but what really, uh, is important to me, if I were to be looking to, to buy one of these cameras is that they have added, uh, an image stabilizer and that allows the ability to use a uh, a 16 shot high resolution mode that will quadruple the resolution to just over 200 megapixels. Uh, now that's not for everybody. Uh, it's not needed for a lot of things, but uh, I use that as a way to get closer to subjects uh, without requiring focus stacking. So I can just crop in and throw a whole bunch of pixels away because I don't actually need mm-hmm. uh, on my cameras. It's 187 megapixel uh, raw files, but the more I have, the more I can throw away and I can still make decent, uh, decent images. Or maybe you do want to print big and you're a landscape photographer. Wouldn't it be nice to just kind of press a button to activate a mode on your camera uh, when you've got everything set up perfectly and just have more data? Maybe you don't need it, but at least it's there as an option. Well, if some is good, more must be better. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, says, says the man, uh, the night before he wakes up in a ditch. Mm. Uh, (laughs) I meant with French fries, but okay. (laughs) <laughs> so uh it, i know that you shoot with a uh, if you're still shooting with a, a 5d mark 3 and yep. uh i've always been uh either in the micro four third uh, micro four thirds or full frame space uh in my digital cameras i've got a bunch of medium format film cameras do, do you feel the that what fuji is doing in this space is is really attractive because it's not like the full uh phase one sensor size it's just right. a step up from your uh, full frame format uh, is uh, they've been beating this drum for a while. And I think that they've been gaining market share with it. Uh, what do you think of this camera and uh, and the new advancements that they have? This is the, actually, this marks the first time I'm seriously interested in this camera. Uh, okay. I, when, it, when they first announced it a few years ago and, and they said, well, you know, they're coming out with a medium format we, which, which, I mean, I guess medium format is if you make anything, you know, one millimeter above uh, a 35 millimeter format, now you can just call yourself medium format, I think. Well, t- oh, technically the, the red V Raptor was like, f- like 41 millimeters by 21 millimeters or something. Right. So I don't know if that's classified as medium format, but it's, it's bigger than 36 millimeters wide. So who yes. knows what they want to market that as. Yeah. So it's, it's 36 by 24 is, is, is full format, which is Kleinbild, small small photo here in Germany, which is funny. Um, but I mean, I mean, I learned like all my all everything I know about medium and large format. I learned from Chris Marquardt uh, in, in person, and and he basically he's he is and rightfully so. I say this in in, in uh, loving, lovingly. He is a snob about what medium format is. Like it, it should be big. You know, it shouldn't be this. And so, so basically this is physically, forget megapixels for now and forever actually, but the physical size of the sensor is essentially, isn't it two full frames, quote unquote, full frames put together roughly? Uh, yeah, ab- about that. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's, it's smaller than like a, um, a, a six, four, five, uh, medium format. 
by uh, quite a bit, actually, I think. By, by, by quite a bit. And, and what I mentioned 645, uh, that's uh, 6 centimeters by 4.5 uh, centimeters. Correct. And uh, and so that's the smallest of the traditional medium format sizes. Then you get 6 by 6 and 6.7 six, and 6.9, and it, it goes crazy. I even had for a while a 6 by 17 panoramic medium format camera where you would get four frames on a roll of film. Right. Uh and that was so much fun to play with and so expensive uh, for what it was worth. Uh, so I, I ended up trading that uh, in and, and I, well, I traded it over. I, I sold it and basically bought a stereoscopic 3D medium format camera that takes two six by six frames, which isn't really doing myself any favors in terms of film costs there either. But right. anyhow, I, I digress. I'm going down a rabbit hole. Um, it's not to that same uh, size of a, a Pentax uh, digital 645 or a, a phase one, uh, which is, I, I forget the exact measurements of all of these, but Fuji is the smallest of what is considered by the general marketing of medium format. But those are very expensive cameras as other ones you mentioned. They are. And this one uh, comes in at a price point of a dollar less than $4,000 US. Right. Um, and so for four grand, I mean, you're you're well below the flagship cost of uh, of a one D body from uh, from Canon, uh, mm-hmm. right at thirty five millimeter space, and so now it becomes an interesting playground because uh, not only is this the price of a brand new camera, but how cheap is the previous version of it going to be, or that a used was my, copy of that? That's right? where I got interested really quickly, because I, and so for, for I started out, uh, you know, my first camera, the forty D, which I may have killed, by the way, it may finally be dead. Thank you, Mediterranean Sea. Um, <laughs> not quite. It's we're, we're, I'll, I'll update you sometime. But um, I started out with the forty D and, and and loved it, obviously. But then, you know, back then the ma- the mantra was uh, or mantra was. You got to go full frame. You got to go full frame. You got to go full frame. And so I went full frame. I had a 5D Mark II, which I love the camera, uh, burned it to the ground essentially, but you know, it just wouldn't take any more pictures. Bought the 5D Mark III, even bought a 5D Classic used and uh, love the whole idea of the full frame. But over time, I have not really cared that much of the APS, APS-C versus the full frame. It, 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 there's an advantage. It's not the end of the world. And so when you start doing the trade-off, um, and I did that when I got the the X100F from Fuji, which I fell in love with that camera. I still love that camera. It is my favorite camera that I own. Um, so much so that a friend of mine who's not a photographer, he's just a, a, friend, like a buddy I play baseball with, he, he wants to get a real camera. He's got his phone, takes good pictures, but he's like, you know, if I get a real camera... And he'd done some research, and one of the ones he came up with was he wanted to get one of the Fuji cameras. And he's like, I know you love yours so much. What about this one? I think it's the X-T30 or something like that. And I went to the camera store and played with it and said, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a compact. It's APS-C or whatever we're calling it. I love, I love the camera. I love the form factor. I don't know that I need to have a full frame. And if I'm going to go full frame or go much larger, now I'm kind of looking – at something large from the Fuji here. And they've got a new lens, the uh, the GF uh, 35 to 70, which would be the equivalent on a full frame of a 28 to 55 millimeter uh, f4.5 to 5.6 um, weather resistant lens. And, you know, it's it's not a lens that really stands out as being something to put up on a pedestal, but it, it does uh, come out as a good workhorse lens that's really compact and light uh, that's able to create a larger image circle 
which makes these cameras that much more useful because uh, one of the issues is, you know, the, the bigger your sensor, the bigger your lenses are going mm-hmm. to have to be uh, alongside it. Uh, and even if it's a mirrorless format, the lenses still have to make an image circle the same size. It's not like there's a lot of weight that gets reduced uh, when you minimize that flange distance. So uh, to have some uh, lighter lenses, and if you wanted to get it with the uh, the uh, 50S, it's only a $500 increase on the po- uh, cost of the camera body itself, although it'll cost you around $1,000 if you wanted to get that separately. So those costs are coming down and it's becoming lighter and more convenient. Uh, I don't think that, I mean, I've got so much gear, uh, really strange and usual lenses that are uh, in the, uh, the full frame space. And I love the uh, the Lumix S bodies that I've got them on right now. Uh, and I wouldn't really gain much by going medium format unless I could find all of the weird niche case lenses uh, with the larger image circle and they just don't exist. So right. uh, I, I don't think that there would be an advantage for me to necessarily make that particular jump. Um, but you mentioned that they're smaller cameras too. And they announced the, uh, the, uh, XF, uh, 33 millimeter F 1.4 and 23 millimeter, uh, F 1.4 lens as well. So they're, uh, you know, completely rounding out that, uh, particular system. And, uh, they've announced some lenses in development, the, uh, XF 150 to 600 and, uh, the 18 to 120. So on either ends, you got your, uh, wide, uh, to, medium telephoto, like travel lens, I guess, Mm -hmm. Uh, sort of a jack of all trades there. (laughs) And then uh, what's becoming an increasingly popular range, the uh, 150 to 600 millimeter uh, uh, super telephoto uh, type of range. So they're, they're really uh, kind of rounding this out to be a very viable system. And um, they've announced a new sensor technology that is coming out. Uh, No products have this yet. They're still working on it, but they're saying that their next flagship camera uh, we'll have a, a stacked layer back illuminated X-Trans CMOS sensor, and they have not done a backside illuminated sensor as of yet. So it'll be interesting to see what advantages are going to come. Uh, basically, they're saying that they've got momentum here. This this train is going full steam ahead, yeah, uh, and we're not slowing down. Uh, you know, at any time soon, anyhow. Well, I, I could I could see this. I mean, you say travel camera. There's no way I would travel with this. Like that. That's the whole point of of a travel camera for me is like the having the X X100 for myself. Well, and, that, and that's where the, the the new announcement of the uh, the the XF, which is again their APS-C interchangeable lens format, uh, eighteen to one twenty, makes sense. But yeah, you know, if, if you're going to have a medium format camera body, I'm not going to tuck that into a fanny pack and and, no. and take that uh, take that on a trip through the streets of Italy with me. No, 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 no. You're not, not going to want to do that. But uh, where I see it with, with, the, with the larger cameras, um, with the um, uh, the 50S or the, or the 100, whatever, whatever we're looking at, that has got to really make a dent in the, the wedding photography realm. Yeah. I would yeah, imagine I'm sure, that, I'm sure that a lot of wedding photographers uh, are either uh, looking seriously at these systems, uh, or if you were just uh, hanging out your shingle, uh, as it were, as a wedding photographer, and you're getting equipped uh, from the ground up, yeah. um, then this is definitely going to be on your radar. Yeah, it's, it's a great place to start. If, if you're starting brand new, you're right. Like, I'm one, if, if you're already in the ecosystem of Canon, I understand, which I am, but I keep dropping my lenses, so pretty soon... <laughs> <laughs> could just make it over. 
Uh, you could. Um, okay. Well, before we get into our final uh, two stories, where can people find you online if they want to hear more of your voice? Why would you not want to hear more? Come find out more. I, I talk every single week. Now, you said last week you missed a week. I was in Munich. Still made the week, though, Don. Just saying. Not to uh, say it was one worth listening to, though. It was terrible. No, it was honest <laughs> to God. I... Uh, uh, no, it was pretty funny, but it was, it was good because it was short. Adam and I recorded a bunch of uh, evergreens uh, ahead of time because uh, him and I were both on vacation, but we wanted to have new content. So every week I talk with uh, my friend and co-host, Adam Schwartz, who is a, a physiotherapist. And, and 10 and a half years ago, he wanted almost 11. I'll say 10 and a half. It's almost 11 years now. He He wanted to learn how to take pictures. And I said, well, great. I'll tell you a little bit every week and we'll record it. And that's uh, now he's a working semi-pro. So you can find us at twohosers.com. That is a great podcast, by the way. I listen to it regularly. I don't catch every episode because there's just too much uh, out there. But uh, I do chime in once in a while uh, when I'm you know, just doing menial, busy tasks, weeding the garden, packaging up books, whatever. It's like, let's see what Alan... And um, and the other guy are up to. I forget his name too. Well, would yep. you ever listen to the ones that you're on? Uh, you know what? I I do occasionally, um, just to Can make sure it? that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't listen to every one though. Those ones are, are usually a skip for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I if I said something, um, you know, colorful or cantankerous or you know what have you, <laughs> uh, I might listen to see if you leave it in. Everything stays in. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because my wife, uh, again, like we're coming up on 11 years of weekly. So 557 episodes this week, tomorrow. And uh, she's heard zero episodes. Yeah, my lie. wife has not listened to one of, of this podcast either. So. Well, my wife loves your show. Oh, that's great. Uh, <laughs> no, well, my, my wife will rarely uh, watch, like if I produce a video or something, mm-hmm. she, if I can convince her to to watch it she will and usually that that convincing is because the video is only like between five and ten minutes long uh right and so that's that's the sell right there is that it's not going to take a significant amount of her life to to consume that that she doesn't care about but well one of the things that i i I had never considered this when i started so when i started uh, i had zero kids and now i have two um my daughter was born about six months after we started and but this was never a consideration of mine but uh, so Adam and I talk about, you know, photography each week, but we also talk about our personal lives and how photography, you know, mixes in with that and, and you know, what we photograph, and et cetera, et cetera. What I didn't realize I was doing and what you're also doing in, in some fashion is you're creating an amazing digital uh, time capsule for your daughter. I suppose so, so yeah. So I, you know, so when, when like my kids are, you know, 20 or however old, they can go back and they could listen because – they will hear what was going on with me, and I talk about them a little bit. But I, but what, but my sort of my headspace, and we talk about you know what's going on in the world, and like you're talking about the technology of that week. So whatever technology they're dealing with, and tw- she's dealing with in 20 years, she'll hear your take on 20 year old technology. Which imagine that? Imagine listening to your parents or your mom or your dad or whomever talking about technology you know oh this what is it what's an ipod well it's just brand new like we don't know yet <laughs> that that's a really interesting take on this because i mean that it's the podcast is always going to be up there um all 159 episodes and counting for me 
and and by the way, I confirmed uh, that you are the uh, longest running uh, weekly podcast that has never missed an episode, at least in the photography space. Um, okay, in the uh, world. In the world, I well, I had Martin Bailey on, and I asked him, and he missed some episodes. So okay, there we go. But you, you didn't uh, rub it. You didn't rub rub it in his face though. With me. oh yeah, I totally did. Oh, oh boy, yeah, that's gonna be so, awkward at the next yeah. mixer. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's go on to actually, uh, one, one final plug. You got to plug your two hosers photo show. Um, I, uh, I've got some workshops coming up, uh, with Princeton photo workshop, and, uh, I'd like people to take a look at that. They are virtual. Um, they will be happening, uh, beginning mid September, uh, through November timeframe, uh, on sort of macro photography is the theme of, uh, one of them. Uh, but one is just sort of photography in general. I call it uh, vision beyond seeing and understanding how a camera sees the world differently than uh, we do with our own eyes and how that's a very valuable tool as a creative person to understand and embrace those differences. So we've got two workshops coming up. Um, they span multiple weeks and they are done virtually. And that's at Princeton Photo Workshop. Uh, the link will be in the show notes here. And Wait, what, uh, so also, what is that? Hold, hold on. What is a, what is a, explain, explain how the, the virtual photo workshop works. Like how many people, what, 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 what do, do they get to see each other? Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a Zoom meeting, uh, and we're all okay. there together. The the uh, there is a limited number. Uh, I forget what we set the cap at, but we're not there yet. Uh, it might be a dozen, uh, because you want to have the ability to converse and to have a conversation with mm -hmm. everybody that might have questions and have sort of roundtable discussions and things like that. Um, and so there's a presentation. There is a uh, there's usually an assignment at the end of uh, of every class, aside from the last one. And uh, that gets reviewed at the beginning of the next class. And so uh, you'll be sent off with a particular task and we all get to share images and uh, I critique them. And usually that leads into the next uh, lesson uh, for the next workshop. And so the, the, they span multiple weeks uh, in, in that same format. So you've got some time in between to digest what you've mm -hmm. learned, put it to practice, and then see how that applies uh, the week after. And have you done these before? Yes, I have, and they've been very successful. Okay, uh, and so what about the the so my, the reason I ask is how is the interaction between uh, the participants? Because I know a lot of times, like it's great you you go and you, you want to go to a workshop so you can hear someone like Don, uh, you know, give his wisdom. But there's also what I love about workshops in general. I've been on a few of them. Is the interaction amongst the the group as well? Because the, it, it turns into this really wonderful collective um, uh, sort of kind of a su support system. And then that those relationships become fantastic and hopefully carry on past the workshop. Now, I, I find that that's an easier thing to handle in person because people just tend to start up conversations in person better than they do uh, on Zoom. But uh, I do encourage it. Uh, it. It all depends on the personalities in the group. Uh, so that I think fluctuates a little bit more with virtual conversations, uh, than it would in a uh, personal space. Um, so I am looking forward to getting back to in-person workshops as well, but this virtual space, uh, I'm not allowed to go to the U S right now. Still, um, mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the American border is still closed. At least the, um, 
the ground uh, uh, travel border is still closed. So we're still doing that, the virtual one. But this also transcends to my move over to uh, Bulgaria. I don't know exactly when that date is going to be, uh, but we set them uh, on like, you know, Saturday mornings, uh, Eastern time. So uh, it's quite flexible in order to make that uh, to make that work anywhere you are in the world. Um, you've got the opportunity to attend. Um, but if you are in North America, uh, if you're interested in buying a car, I have to sell my 2019 uh, Tesla Model 3 Performance. So just throwing that out there as well. Uh, <laughs> send me an email if you're interested in buying a car. I'm sure I'll have no trouble finding a buyer for it in the used car market at the moment. But yeah, uh, he'll throw cool in a print of the car. Sure, why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From his phone. <laughs> I can, yeah, uh, I'll just take a snap with my phone and print you off a four by six. I'll sign the back of it for you. Uh, (laughs) All right. The next story. um, This is an interesting one. I like when uh, ethical dilemmas come up. Uh, (laughs) And so this was reported on by The Verge. Uh, Panasonic photoshopped a white man's head onto a black man's body. Uh Um, uh, Oh, and the actual uh, product was digitally inserted too. Uh, So... What Panasonic had done uh, is they took a stock photo uh, of a uh, of a black man and possibly a stock photo of, of a white man. I'm not sure where they got the face from. They don't uh, show that in this particular article. Mm-hmm. Slapped the two of them together. And then they photoshopped uh, the product that they are selling, which looks like it's some uh, speaker thing that hangs over your shoulders for some surround sound or immersion uh, into uh, a gaming for dragons. And they also photoshopped in a dragon, whatever the game that this uh, this guy is supposed to be playing um so that's the scenario what are your thoughts about what what which which part am i supposed to be outraged because there's a lot of outrage spots here which 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 are we focusing on oh well, I, well let's cover them all okay <laughs> where, go, where do you want to order. start you start I, uh, you tell me okay I, I, okay so the, the fact that they they decided to mix the the racial lines here that's to to me number one it's like why if you had the perfect photo of a black person playing a video game why do you not just make a like and maybe the expression is not exciting enough maybe you find the expression of a more excited black person and combine those together keep it the same why don't you why don't you hire somebody to do an actual shoot of an actual human being wearing your actual product instead of having to fake it yeah the cost of doing so is probably not a lot wait so do they have the product yet or is it just in a prototype mode that's what i wonder it doesn't matter have somebody wear the prototype and pretend to be excited i know that part okay that's the part that that i i find kind of funny because i'm i'm outraged by none of this but um it is funny that they wouldn't go ahead and do that. Like it's just it, it's it's just lazy, is what I think. I'm pointing I'm pointing my lazy finger at you, Panasonic. That's kind of yeah. what's going on. As far as the black guy, white guy, I really don't care. Like that's just that's just a. Eh, eh. I don't think it was anything anything racial. It was just meh. They they, they had the guy in the right position. Yeah, and he happened to have a particular skin color. And yeah. then, but 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 I I do I, I do take issue of of changing somebody's skin color. Uh, I, I right. won't m- m- make a point to say, okay, well, obviously you're, you're not just changing their skin color. You're changing the person you're changing their head. And so sure. maybe that crosses and the, color the line. Of the shirt. 
yeah, and the color of their shirt. And uh, so maybe that, and they edit out the beer in, in the photograph uh, and the pizza as well. Uh, oh, so they're right. Com- so they're completely changing the nature of everything about it. And maybe does that make it okay? Uh, I, I, I would know. I would certainly think that it it would not be okay if they just took a guy and changed their skin color in either direction, right? Make a white guy black, make a black guy white. I, I think that that's that's not acceptable. Right. But when you start changing so many things about it, does the race even matter when you're swapping out the face and completely changing the narrative of the entire scene? That's the question that yeah. I think well, everybody's going to answer. Matter. I, don't, I don't know why. Like for me, for me, race doesn't really play into this. Like I, that, that would that would be a, number one hundred on the list of things I would even worry about, um, and I would not worry about it. But uh, it's just. You know, did they pay for the picture at least, or did they did they photo like kind of clone out the Getty images part? <laughs> One can hope that they actually paid a license to it. Um, yeah, but then that also begs the question: what what is uh, what what does the license allow uh, for modification uh, for the use? Um, yeah. because you know, in some cases, like if you're going to uh, to, to get a, a photo of a person. And you're going to use that photo in a sensitive ad. Say, if it's an ad for what's a sensitive topic on everybody's uh, mind right now, say abortion. Um, and oh, right now, right now it's a sensitive topic. Yeah. Well, so okay. I, what I'm saying is if, if there was somebody that wanted to use a stock photo of anybody uh, for something related to abortion, then there would have to be clauses in uh, in the license that allow it to be used in sensitive material. This was an uh, episode of Friends, Don. Uh, this was. This was when 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 they use a photo of Joey for an STD. Okay, uh, so you just you're, this is brilliant that you're bringing this up. All <laughs> right, so Joey uh, and and the STD scenario. Uh, in this case, would it be a sensitivity issue if? You know, you're taking the uh, the model mm-hmm. uh, it, that, that has signed off on this. Would they have signed off on a clause of their skin color being changed in the licensing terms? Or is it just you can do anything you want with this regardless of where or how it's going to be used? Because the, that's typically not how these licenses uh, are stipulated. They will have some clauses that said if it's going to be controversial in any way, mm-hmm. um, then you need to seek permission based on how you're going to use it. Okay. So for this is like an ad for QAnon, he'd, he'd have to sign off in person. Yeah. Well, yeah, you might have to sign off on that specific use. And, and that's why, you know, right. uh, some of these uh, advertising campaigns get into hot water because they use Joey in an STD ad. Um, and, and that's not generally okay. And then there can be pushback and there could be some legal ramifications therein. So I'm not sure what, uh, what lines we would cross into there. Well, I'm not buying this video game now. That's for sure. <laughs> or no, it's for the thing. It's for the, the, the motion blaster. Thing. Yeah, and you know what? Panasonic is a sponsor of mine. I've I've no problem yeah, okay, talking well. about uh, no no problem talking about you know uh, ethical quandaries and, and dilemmas uh, uh, about any company, regardless of if they sponsor me or not. Okay, uh, and and so I I I'm personally not okay with them doing this for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one of them I think would be changing the skin color on somebody, uh, but I think the bigger issue, the bigger question for me 
is why you didn't just do a photo shoot with this cool product yeah or do something like totally caricaturizing it in like a cartoonish type of way which they also have some images of uh and that's kind of neat and and maybe they did that exact shoot for that exact purpose maybe it's just another photoshop manipulation set um but there's no reason why you had to go down that particular road no, I, I think I think the part I find most offensive now that I look at it is if you're going to Photoshop the the hardware in there, get rid of that cord on the left hand on his left hand side because it's not it's asymmetrical and it just doesn't need to be there. I mean, if we're just making up fantasy stuff, get rid of that cord. Sure, see what I'm saying? <laughs> that would balance out better. I, I might I might consider buying it if if even if there was a cord in real life, it looks better without it. Yep. Um, so there you have it. Uh, don't, don't Photoshop stuff that doesn't need to be Photoshopped. Uh, be better. It, you know, be better, I suppose. Uh, still absolutely love their cameras though. Uh, and, and they're, I, I guess they, they are paying me, uh, to, to use their equipment, but they, they, they don't pay me to, to, you know, just unilaterally promote and, and be, be biased. Uh, and so I'm glad I can be honest about things. And I'm so glad I can be honest about this next one. Okay, I want to hear your thoughts. <laughs> so, uh, final story, Samsung launches the first ever 200 megapixel smartphone sensor. Why, dear God, is this a thing? Oh, I thought you were all, all aboard on this train. <laughs> you thought so, huh? I don't know. Uh, Some is good, more is better. We already so the established that. ISOCELL HP1, an industry first 20, a 200 megapixel sensor based on 0 0.64, uh, what's the, what's that? I'm assuming symbol? mu. It's got to be mu, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, micrometers. And yeah, it's um, 640 nanometers. Uh, that, oh, that's okay. how I know it as. Um, and uh, so... Do, do you know why this is a stupid idea, Alan? Oh, I I know why I think it is, but no, I want to hear why. Um, okay, so are you familiar with how a microwave oven works? Um, yes, that's why I have a tinfoil hat. Right, and, and are you familiar with why your face doesn't melt off when you stare at something cooking inside of a microwave oven? Because well, it's inside. Right, but you can see it, right? Yeah, yes, I can. Right, so you notice that there's a mesh on the front of every microwave oven door, mm -hmm. right? So you can see it cooking, but that mesh is designed in a very specific way such that the holes are a certain size uh, deliberately so that microwaves cannot pass through, but light can. Oh. So now here's the thing. The, the visible spectrum of light that we see with our own eyes, uh, it ranges between 400 and 700 nanometers, right? Red okay. light is 700 nanometers. If the photosites on this sensor are 640 nanometers across, that is in reference, that's, that's about the color orange. Mm -hmm. How can this sensor see red light? If the wavelength of that light in our microwave oven scenario um, is bigger than the physical size of the light collector itself. Right. So they've, they've invented a colorblind uh, sensor. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the, the way around it, I would see, is maybe you have fewer red photosites that are bigger. 
uh, mm -hmm. so that they could detect red, but it doesn't look like that's the way it's designed. I might be missing something in the technology here that's making it very confusing for me. I understand that, you know, pixel binning is a thing if you wanted to, you know, remove noise from an image. Um, that's always been uh, useful in some scenarios, but I, I don't think packing that much data. Uh, no, I, I've, I've said no to this so many times on this podcast. I sound like I'm a broken record, mm -hmm. but now they have finally crossed that threshold, making those photo sites smaller than the wavelength of light. And I say enough, sir. So is it not, the, it's not the 200 megapixels that's getting you. It's the, the size of them. Well, and it, it transforms itself into a 12.5 megapixel uh, image at the end of it. So, I mean, Right. I, I still, I don't see why, especially with all of the advantages in computational photography these days, why you don't just make a 12 megapixel sensor uh, and, and make it good. And make it good. Mm hmm. Yeah. Sorry to use the technical term, but make it good as well. Yeah. Okay. That's what we yeah. used to say at Harvard. Um, yeah. I, I, there was a, again, in the, in the digital SLR uh, field, for me, there was, a a magic sweet spot where we hit with the megapixels and i said okay you're done now like like my friends my friends who were just basically you know taking pictures of their kids pre-smartphone said okay which camera should i get and i said uh you you need four megapixels six is nice they have one with six get the six one and be done with it walk away six megapixels on a compact uh sensor you will never know you will never go tell that from six to seven to eight you'll never know well, and that's why I think that smartphones have kind of reliably stayed around the 12 megapixel mark. Mm -hmm. um, because especially, you're, what are you going to do with that photo? Uh, chances are you're going to view it on a mobile device, right? Yes, uh, yes there's the chance that you're going to make a print of it, but that chance is also that the print is going to be small too. So if, if you, <laughs> there's the use case just doesn't compute to me. And mm -hmm. who is asking for this? Yeah, I don't know. It's funny you say it on, on, about the looking at uh, on the screen because um, I was at a bachelor party in Munich last week. Uh, a buddy of mine got married. And so we dressed up as lumberjacks and ran around Munich for the, for the evening. And we stopped and got a, a group photo in front of in the, a place called the, the Marienplatz in the old rat house, a very famous spot in Munich. Uh, you know, I'm sure you've seen pictures of it, but probably from a different era. And, uh, and so uh, one of the guys who has uh, like a newer iPhone handed it off to, to somebody and, and snapped a group photo. And then he sent it around. And I looked at it on my phone and I thought, wow, this is amazing. Like this is, this looks awesome. I, I, why, why am I even taking pictures? Like if, 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 you know, with real cameras. And then I got home a few, like five days later, I had to go to the wedding too. That wasn't like a long bachelor party, but like five days later, I get home, look at it on my, on my computer and thought, oh, it's fine. It's yeah. okay. It wasn't it wasn't great quality. So no, and, and I don't think that anybody can say that a smartphone will empirically in all cases replace a dedicated camera in terms of quality resolution and what you can do with the, the end result. Um, it is becoming more and more useful. Uh, computational photography is allowing for blurred backgrounds, which make them uh, approximate the look of a fancy portrait lens on a fancy camera. Uh, and that's good mm. enough for a lot of people. Pretty close. 
and that's only going to get better as the processors yeah. get better, uh, as the the technology and the algorithms uh, are more advanced, and you know more people spend their entire lives developing this type of technology. Better is just going to happen. But I don't think it happens by cramming 200 million dots onto a sensor like this just so that you could bin them down to right. uh, you know, a very small fraction of that. So that, that yeah. the whole plan here is to shoot very high res and then down res it for a decent output. And yep. you're saying just, just make a, a, a decent 12 meg, megapixel yep. sensor and move on with your life. That, that's what I'm saying. And, I'm, in. Uh, I'm in. I'm in with that. All right. Okay. Well, end of story then. And we can get ourselves into our picks of the week. Uh, and uh, I don't know what, what you've got for me this week, Alan. You, you didn't give me a teaser. To... Oh, I didn't. No, no. It's a, it's a surprise. So I, I'm, I'm building on what I recommended last time. I think last time I was on, last time I was on the show, I recommended the um, GoPro Hero 8 Black. I hope. I believe so, yeah. Okay, so I had just picked that up, sh shot around a little bit with it, and just cannot believe how amazing that thing is. Took it to Italy on a family vacation. We went down to Tuscany, went uh, out on the coast. So spent a lot of time in the Mediterranean, and uh, boy, did it pay for itself. Um, everything I said about that camera, uh, I, I still love. the the. We went for a bike ride in uh, the pine forest in this area near a, a town called Chechnya. And uh, so we're riding along there. I have the camera just in my hand, riding on my bike, on the bumps, and filming my kids and, and my wife. And it looks like I'm flying a drone past them. Like, it eliminates awesome. all the bumps. I'll send you a clip, and, and I'm sure you've seen uh, these kinds of clips. It is unbelievable. But before I left, I thought, well, the, 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 the Hero 8 Black is self-contained waterproof. You just you can just go in the up up to a certain depth, but I'm never I'm not going diving with it. I'm just taking it, you know, in the pool or the ocean. Yeah. And uh, but it's black and it's self-contained and it doesn't float on its That's, own. That's um okay, I see where you're going. Yes. <laughs> so I thought about it, I thought, well, that will be a horrible idea uh if I take it out in the Mediterranean and it doesn't come back. So I I Checked it out, and sure enough, they make a personal flotation device for the GoPro by GoPro. Makes it. Here you are. Right. There and it's got it's, the name on it. Got the name on it. It's uh, and it does float. And so you you basically pack your your camera in here, and if you drop it, it's shockproof. Does a fantastic job. I it's think bright it orange, about, easy to spot. Bright orange, so you, and it's got a uh, for a strap. You can have a little strap, and so you can put it on, which I did. Like I strapped it on and would swim out and, and film my kids jumping off. Uh, we rented one of those, you know, boats with the paddle boats with the slide on it one day. So I swam out in the Mediterranean with that, and uh, it is phenomenal. And so it does does float, easy to see. Highly recommend if you bought the GoPro, pick up one of these two. I'm glad I did. Thank you for the follow-up uh, to your previous pick. Uh, and, you know, I, I've got a feeling I'll be spending some more time near the Black Sea, not the Mediterranean, but um, making one of those even more useful for me to have uh, just a lot of family memories that would otherwise go unrecorded. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've, I've got one on my, uh, on my wish list. Uh, once I've got everything all sorted out here, uh, I'm going to buy myself a, a couple of toys uh, and a GoPro is going to be one of them just to make life a little bit easier over there. I will trade you straight up for the Tesla. I will not take that. Think off. about it. Just think about it. We'll, we'll, <laughs> I'll even throw in the, the PFD. 
Okay, I, I will give it uh, no more than a second's thought. My pick of the week is uh, something that I, I use. I use these little clamps a lot. Um, so crab clamps are something that are very useful in almost every area of photography, and they come in so many different sizes. If you're doing portraiture, you've got massive little pincer clamps that uh, that will hold various different things, and uh, maybe smaller ones too. As a macro photographer. I have these tiny little crab clamps that I use to hold plants or flashlights or little uh, cards up to bounce light and you know or mirrors or so many different uses for these clamps. Whenever I'm doing a studio setup, there's at least one of these being used, sometimes as many as four or five of them uh, in various different places. And I've mentioned crab clamps before on on this podcast, but this is this is one actually that is now available from Platypod. Um, and I love the stuff that they do. In fact, I love their Max Macro bundle, which has gooseneck arms and little uh, a cube lightra torches uh, to, to illuminate things and, uh, and, and on this base. It's a wonderful tool, but the one thing it was missing was crab clamps. And Platypod is now making, uh, well, I'm not sure if they manufacture them themselves, but they're at least selling them. And these are really cool because they're a bit different than the average crab clamp that I've seen. Um, they have little swivel tips on the end. And those swivel tips allow for really precise um, and a holding of things with really good grip. Uh, and they can be moved around to, to be more of a, a flattened tip. And so it's a really powerful little tool. Uh, it's got your standard quarter 20 and whatever the bigger size is, three eighths and whatever the thread count is on the so it's got your tripod uh clips on that uh i use these on tabletop tripods or on gooseneck arms uh or it's done anything it's got a tripod mount on it you can do whatever you want with it uh and they're 18 dollars uh for one of these little guys and you'll want more than one uh when, when you buy them and platypod uh they're friends of mine i asked them to set up a discount code for me um with a very specific caveat that I get absolutely nothing in return because I want to have uh, just absolutely no bias for me making this recommendation. I get nothing when you use the code, but you get 15% off. Um, and uh, that code is doncom15, D-O-N-K-O-M-1-5, and they'll give you 15% off. I think everything in their store um, is what that comes to. And I get zero for it. I don't want anything for it because I want to make an unbiased opinion that these things are awesome uh, and you should have some of them in your kit. So that is my pick of the week. I you, you can never have enough clamps and especially like little specialty ones like this. So uh, definitely check those out. Yeah, uh, and uh, 18 bucks or less than that with the discount and check out that Macro Max uh bundle that they have as well if you need a really cool flexible macro lighting kit uh, that's also available on their website so thank you to platypod for uh you know really just making my life easier with these kinds of things especially when i do like behind the scenes uh you know setups and i get to show people you know this is how it was put together uh, oh and by the way uh there's a one-click option to get everything that was used in lighting uh this particular scene uh, and then other people can grab that and i don't want to say replicate the results but take their own uh, spin on it, mm -hmm. knowing that they've got uh, all of the tools at their disposal to do so. 
And that brings us to the end of another episode of Photo Geek Weekly. Uh, thank you, Alan, for being on the show once again. It's always great to chat with you. Uh, glad that we can coordinate this, uh, even though our time zones are different. But very soon, they will be almost identical. So it'll be a lot easier to get in touch with you. Looking forward to having your voice on the show more often. More often than this? Oh, no. Yeah, well. <laughs> You're going to want to crowdsource that. Uh, maybe. Um, maybe I'll have uh, Chris Marquardt on more often. There you instead. go. There you go. Smooth it out. <laughs> Smooth it out. <laughs> All right. Thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of Photo Geek Weekly. Again, the show notes are at photogeekweekly.com. If you have any suggestions uh, for guests or stories on the show, please let me know. Uh, and again, if you want a print or a book, now is the time to do it before I move overseas and uh, such things are more difficult to maneuver around. Um, and uh, until next time, uh, it's time to stay in and shoot. Mm -hmm.